With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzella, and I am Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Each hour here at Small Business Digest Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. We have an exciting program this week covering how a child's need led to a successful product, an exciting new venture contest for small businesses, a, uh, a new look at financing, and a, a look at the sales tax danger zone. Our first guest, guest is, is Richard Labor, whose daughter's needs led to a breakthrough product. Richard, welcome to the show. Hey, Don, I'm really excited to be here. I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be speaking to your listeners and been on a lot of interviews lately, and I find them very exciting. They're great. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad. Let's First, Richard, tell us the background of your story. You have a daughter. Well, it, yeah, basically it, it started out as a family story, really. I mean, this is now turned into the American dream story, but our story as a family we were all professional athletes at one time. You know, Rod Laver is my cousin, and we enjoyed uh, a lot of success in sports and health in our family. And Katie was born. It, it kind of rocked us again to have so much good health and good genes and things go well for our family. And Katie was, came out with cerebral palsy. Uh, and basically she her condition was that, she had to have a terrell feeding, tooth feeding for 95% of her nutrition. And through time, the first two years of her life, it was a struggle. We were in and out of hospitals every two weeks. Kate was on a plethora of medications. And I went back to my life as an athlete, and really the idea in life, whether you're an athlete or you're a businessman on the road or you're in a senior citizen home, cornerstone of all nutrition Really, it, it all starts with superior nutrition. Really, great health starts there. So I knew that, and all of these formulas that were currently existing on the market that Katie was drinking were causing her all these issues. And we really wanted to settle down and look at I had a friend visiting from uh, out of state, and he said, let me look at the formula to see what was happening. Can you hear me? We have a little bit of a connection problem. Can you hear me? Yes, well, you're you're perfect. Go keep going. Oh, okay, yeah, I was, well, uh, I'm in a windstone. I'm on the side of the road and off of Vegas here. Well, anyways, basically we went. A friend showed us the ingredient panel and he said, "Look, all the hospital formulas that are on the market, all these insurers, they're basically different names but the same ingredient deck. And the reason why Katie is sick is because the sedentary 
and a lot of senior citizen homes or the sedentary, they really can't process dairy like the rest of us. In other words, they're not running around, they're not exercising, they're not moving, and the last thing they need in their life is dairy and casein. And so he said, look at El Elmer's glue. He goes, casein is the main ingredient in milk. It's in Elmer's glue. It's binding agent to the body, and the mucus builds up. And if the patient or the person can't work it out, it begins to build up in the stomach, and that's what happened to Katie. And so she was really on all these medications on death's door almost because she couldn't gain any weight. And I, I basically took out a blender one day, and I said, listen, I'm going to take every superfood in the world. I'm going to find the best uh, plant-based proteins in the world. I knew that it was superior sources from my friend that was uh, real, really engaged in the industry. And we created uh, complete in a couple days. And we again, this was just in a blender. So this was just an idea to help my daughter. Am I going on too long, or do you want to ask me another question? Well, well, the reason, well no, no, you're doing fine. But uh, I'll stop here and tell you the reason I we invited you on the program is because it's not unusual for someone to identify a need for a family member for themselves um, and then turn it into a product. And uh, I just thought exactly. it was interesting enough and I, uh, that I, I wanted our listeners to hear about it. Yeah, basically what happened, Don, was it went from this little idea. I was a businessman and um, looking for marketing strategies for different companies as I was going through my 30s, and this was an act. It came into our life, and we created this and started handing it out to people, and people were really finding good health. You know, we took every superfood in the world, put it in the blender, so we, we looked and saw if we could create the best drink in the world. What would it look like? And then when we did that, our, an angel investor kind of came up to us and said, this is a $23 billion market, and there's a lot of people suffering. Basically, two companies control the entire market. Nestle and uh, the Rockefeller family, which is Abbott Laboratories, those two companies own 27 formulas, which is 95% of the market. And so when we looked at the ingredient deck, we all knew in the 80s everyone was drinking this insurance and all the stuff. And But the consumers changed, but the products hadn't changed. You look at the bar market, you know, power bars, there's thousands of beautiful bars out there. But there's nothing for the drink shake market. Nothing had evolved. Nothing had changed. So as an entrepreneur, you know, inside of me and my angel investor said, we have a responsibility to go out. We have a superior formula. We, want, we have to share this with the world. Now, the problem with it is, is how do you take 80 ingredients, superfoods from acai, mango, steam, kale, uh, turmeric, cinnamon, put this all into a beautiful drink and make it taste like a chocolate milkshake? Make it taste no aftertaste, no chemicals, all natural. So it took us three years, 80 batches. And I'll never forget the day we went live four months ago as a company. I was in a warehouse tasting the final batch because I threw away the first 79 because it didn't taste great. My, I wanted to not create a good drink. I wanted to create the best drink in the world. And I was in this thing with Kate, and Kate started laughing as I opened it up. And it was like out of this movie, Bottle Shock. I swear, it was the day before I was going live. I had all these people to press, and I still hadn't tried my newest batch. Well, wait, and stop I right there. Richard, stop there. Tell us the name of your product. It's, it's called Complete, the Ultimate Meal Replacement Shake. The name of the company is called Kate Farms, and Complete is a K uh, because my daughter's name that this saved was Kate, and so we wanted to dedicate the entire company to her. Okay. Now, now you're at the factory. You've, you got you got the product. You're about to ship. 
Uh, I got the well, product. I got. I have it in my hand. I'm literally taking it down in my car down to this, the biggest trade show in the world. And I'll tell you, we went live that day, and we got put up for best new pro- vegan product in the world. Uh, we went from uh, zero stores to 2,000 stores in 90 days. Uh, we're going on CNN. Um, it's Friday. It has been the fastest-growing uh, store, milkshake, I mean, uh, health shake in the world in history, really. We've just exploded. And to to take that chance as an entrepreneur to bring all these people together, our team and and our nutritionists and people from all over the world that just cared about Kate, uh, as the entrepreneur, basically what I had to do was create the vision for the company and then bring the best together to create it. And it's so exciting to know that we could have wiped out a ton of money and then show up at a show and not know if you're going to sell one drink. Is this a fancy food show? What show is it? It's called Expo West, and it was in Anaheim in March. And, you know, you show up okay. there with our product, and, yeah, it was just it, – it's it's unbelievable. Again, I just – really, to your listeners, it's going to be in every neighborhood in America. There, there's um, some deals we're announcing where pretty much it, it, nationwide we've gone national. But why, why are people – why are, are stores stocking your product? What is it well, that you makes know, it really, – Right. Really what it comes down to is that if you're going to sit down and have the perfect meal, the perfect balanced meal with with uh, broccoli and uh, whatever it is that you're going to put together, that's, that's the, Americans don't have that time. So finally someone came up with a, with, a, with a shake, a drink that gives them all the vitamins and nutrients and superfoods, concentrates, and extracts into a shelf-stable drink. And so the store can buy the drink, and for one year they can store it in the pantry and open it up, and it's fresh as a daisy. So uh, really for America was waiting for, you know, they were kind of tired of the insurers. They were tired of all these drinks that they knew they were selling at Walmarts and stuff. And our gamble as a company, would, would Americans, if they had a great-tasting chocolate and vanilla and coffee, there are three flavors we have, if we created complete the ultimate drink, and it tasted great, and they had no time, would they buy this drink on the go? And would they pay $0.80 more than insure for it? And the answer to that question was, that gamble was yes. Okay, but what obstacles did you run into? Well, I think the best question is, as I'm sitting in the middle of the desert, uh, going from one, what obstacle did I not come against? Really, what I would tell an entrepreneur or anybody is that, to be the jack of all trades in business is the worst mistake you can make. If you're committed to, there's a lot of guys with great ideas, but you have to be committed and passionate. In this case, what made me follow through with this business to the end was my love for my daughter. And you have to have that, that, that will. If you've got that will to push down a door and say, everyone told me there's no way, you know you're going up against Nestle, you, it can't be done. And the reality of it is I was told to a lot of businessmen in their careers, and they're wrong. If you have that desire inside of you. So really what come up against me, I told you before, is we had to throw away 80 batches. We had to throw away, it just seemed like by the, by the time we went live as a company, I was a, basically a beaten man. I had fought and got up and failed and begged my investor for more money to try. The mission behind it was, we are bringing this to the hospitals now. The hospitals are calling every day. They need this. They've got these insurers and these patients are drinking the stuff because for whatever reason, not everyone can sit down for a steak. So well, it, it was one, you know. Go ahead. It, for, it, 
it, it, it was one obstacle after another. I didn't have the management team. I didn't have the experience. I'd never come from the health in, industry. So it reminds me of what Henry Ford said, really. He said, you know, tell me I'm ignorant because I dropped out of eighth grade or whatever and I don't have the intelligence to run a big automobile company. Because look at my desk. I can te- press any button at any moment here and get any of the best minds in the world. And I never forgot that. So when, when, a, when a man is going into an industry with just passion, and he's got to have that passion to bring on the best management team. You've got to have the money behind you. You've got to be able to convince distributors to carry you. You've got to be able to bring – you have to carry your message out into everywhere and really mean it. And, and for you, to have that kind of package is uh, a hard thing to do. <laughs> and you have to have a great product. <laughs> well, you're a great spokesman for your product. Two things. How long did it take you to go to market? Three years. Three years. And you slogged through it, huh? Well, I slogged through it, and more importantly, really, I went and flew up. Ignorance is bliss in business sometimes. People can tell you that great businessmen are the smartest people in the world, and I've been meeting a lot of them lately. And, and, and really what it is is they all have the same traits. They're just dogged in their pursuit. But just really quick, Don, I, I really, you know, I really want to thank America, really. I'm on a road show right now, and the embracing, you get on capefarms.com, capefarms.com, uh, complete ultimate meal replacement shake. And you can see the story of Kate. The biggest thing that I that's blessing our family right now is, Kate was in the hospital. She's off all medications. She hasn't been in the hospital since she got on this formula. And my daughter getting well, what that did for our family, it's, let me tell you, when you, I don't know if you have children. Do you have children, Don? No, I don't. I'm, unfortunately, well, I don't. Have, when you have a mother, children, or whatever, and they're sick in the hospital and you're there every week, your life is bad. And so the greatest gift this drink gave to our family is that, we Kate got well. She smiles. She she will always be in a wheelchair. But my daughter's happy. So guess what that means? I'm happy. And there's families out there. We're getting stories every day. They're so happy to see their their family member finally eating well. And and it's just a, it's a, it's one of those enterprises you hope that in business you're that you get involved in something you can change the world. And that is the the most exciting thing right now for me. You know? uh, one one of the, the does Kate have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, Kate's got three, uh, three, uh, one sister and two brothers, and they are the light. Kate's the light in our entire world. Katie is now, she's just uh, sitting outside, walking in the desert. We're pulled over on uh, a street called uh, Peggy, well, Peggy Suit Diner, and the street's called Ghost Town Road on the way back to L.A. So this is what the American dream looks like as the CEO Whoa. of a. Uh, of the company. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, g- uh, give our visitors the the, the website. Okay, uh, America. Here, this is what it is. It's www.katefarms k a t e f a r m s dot com. The drink is called Complete with a K. The ultimate meal replacement shake. We're nationwide sprouts. We're going into a store, uh, many many store, a lot of regional stores. We will cover the entire country in the next uh, 120 days. Okay. Thank you, Richard, for what I consider an inspiring story. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, and I'm sending you some products so you can uh, can give it out to your friends. And thank you, all your listeners. Go be passionate and have a great life. Thank you. Uh, Well, thank you for an inspirational talk. You can read more about them at our website, www.com. 
the number two sbdigest.com. We have a, a story, and you can even see a picture of Kate. Uh, now, a brief word, and we will be back to, to talk with Steve Cannell about an exciting new competition our listeners will want to know about. Many small businesses purchase supplies, equipment, other needs through local stores. To save money on many of these purchases, consider Deem.com. This purchasing site offers real bargains and large discounts on many key items needed to run your business. And it's free to join and use. That's D-E-E-M.com. Again, D-E-E-M.com for all your small business needs. Welcome back to Small Business Digest Radio. I am Don Mazzella. Our next guest has some exciting news. Uh, and now, without further ado, we welcome Steve Canal from Miller Coors. Steve, are you with us? I'm here. I'm here, Donald. Thank you for having me today. Okay. Uh, Steve, for, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, my name is Steve Canal. Uh, I'm the Community Commerce and Partnership for Miller Coors in our Chicago headquarter office. Um, and I'm here today to, you know, have a discussion with you about this exciting new program that we have for Miller Light. Um, I've been with Miller Ford for quite some time, but before that, I was an entrepreneur myself, um, you know, managing my business uh, for about five years. And Miller Ford was actually a client of mine, which is funny. And I came on board uh, two years ago to uh, work on their most business um, on a national scale, and now we're here to announce a total market program that we're going to be launching uh, tomorrow. Okay, now tell us, first off, why is Miller Coors sponsoring this contest? Um, it's, it's more of a program that we've created. Um, it's been around uh, as our news uh, program for the last 13 years um, under our Miller Coors umbrella, um, giving about $1.9 million in grant money um, in the past uh, 13 years. And now we've rebranded this program and aligned it with our Miller Lite um, brand, and now we're proud to announce Tap the Future, uh, which we'll be uh, launching tomorrow. Okay. Uh, and Okay, now tell us about the program. It's for small businesses? Yeah, so uh, Tap the Future, um, Miller Lite Tap the Future, officially launches tomorrow, uh, June 13th, on mltapthefuture.com. Um, it's an opportunity for uh, small businesses, five years or less, startup businesses, um, for an opportunity to apply for up to $400,000 in grant money. Okay. And um, uh, what does a small business uh, have to do? The, uh, create okay. a, business, a business plan, submit? How does it work? We've got the time. Right. By the time we finish, we want our audience to know as much as possible about this contest. Perfect. Thank you for blessing me with the time. So I know <laughs> I can definitely uh, go into it now. <laughs> Again, uh, tomorrow, June 13th, Miller Lite Tap the Future will launch on uh, mltapthefuture.com, ML for Miller Lite, tapthefuture.com, um, where 20, uh, we're, we're looking for, you know, groups of friends who have the spirit of friendship um, and we want, you know, Miller Lite wants to help friends who, you know, who are in business and, and friends who share a passion. You know, when you look at Ben and Jerry, those guys were friends who came together to develop an amazing brand. So Miller Lite 
you know, we're, we're here to bring great friends together to create great business. You know, so we're looking for startup businesses five years or less is one criteria. Two or more business partners, um, no sole proprietorship. Um, we're looking, you have to, you know, all your members of your, of your team have to be 21, 21 or older, U.S. business, um, no franchise, and, and, and not a 501 team to this. Okay. And uh, doing that, uh, what uh, what prizes what what can they earn for this? I know you've got okay. uh, uh, regional and uh, national. Um, right. I, you've been doing your homework. I appreciate that. <laughs> so uh, the the program officially launches tomorrow, and you have from June 13th to August 1st to um, submit your application on mltapthefuture.com, and then you'll have um, we'll have through the month of August, where we're going to have a panel of judges who are going to select 25 businesses to participate as semifinalists in our live pitch events, which will take place in five markets around the country. Depending on where your business is based will determine where you'll be able to pitch your business in front of, the you know, one of the, the top um, business-minded entrepreneurial moguls out right now, Damon John from ABC Shark Tank. So, uh, is there any entry fee for this? No, this is this is totally free. This is free um, to to apply. Um, and if you you know if you're lucky enough to be selected as a semifinalist, a live pitch event Okay. In Atlanta, Philadelphia, Chicago, Phoenix, and Dallas. I noticed you didn't include New York in that thing, but Philadelphia. Uh, any reason for that? <laughs> you know, uh, Philadelphia has been a good market for, for, for Miller Lite, so we wanted to make sure we, we came out and supported the, the community that supported Miller Lite as well. Um, you know, first and foremost, not to say that New York can't be an option next year, um, mm-hmm. but we wanted to make sure we selected some, some good markets around the country, the, the country where we know we can get some good support, and it's a good base to, to hold the live pitches in. And, you know, when we make the announcement, you'll, you'll see one of the reasons why we selected Philadelphia. We have a great, great venue for where we're going to do the live pitch with Damon John from ABC Shark Tank. Well, tell me, did contestants get the Miller beer, uh, <coughs> the, uh, beer as they're preparing for this uh, competition? <laughs> If, if you're 21 or older, you know, feel free to go to your local bar and, and, and enjoy your Miller time. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, say, tell, tell you not to. You know, it, it's Miller time. It's definitely a, a, a good moment to share with your friends to talk about your business plan. And, you know, and on top of it, you know, the grand prize, we have up to $400,000 of grand money we're giving away. You know, and, and, and a, a lucky business is going to have the opportunity to walk away with more than a quarter of a million dollars you know, to, to establish their business to make it, you know, what they needed to be with their friends. Well, um, I, I want to go back to it because uh, it, it, it's it's just so unusual. I could understand if HP or somebody did the sponsorship, but right. uh, having M- uh, Miller Coors is, is to me, um, uh, it, it, that's what really got my attention and uh, right. got me re- really interested. Um, you know, 
when you think of it, you know, you know, to your point, you know, you might have an HP, you might have a Mac, you know, an Apple, or you know, you might have some other organizations who who will step up and do this. But for Millicores, you know, especially with our Community Commerce and Partnerships Division, um, if you look at our four pillars of civil, um, civic leadership, responsibility, economic empowerment, and water stewardship, you know, this falls under our economic empowerment. You know, we we understand that. You know, the millennials right now, it, it's tough in their economy for them to get a job. And when you look at, you know, who's out there as entrepreneurs, and, you know, and, and giving us these new innovative ideas to take our, our nation to the next level, you know, it's the millennials, it's these new businesses. So we wanted to, to show our support by, you know, creating Tap the Future and, and show you we're here with you. You know, we understand that you want to celebrate life. You want to celebrate Miller time with your friends. And this is a great opportunity for us to support that. Okay, as as we wrap up, uh, tell us again the the uh, website to go and enter, please. Yes, so so it's www.m as in Miller, L as in light, tapthefuture.com. Um, and please, you know, if you're on social media, please follow Miller Light on Twitter and like Miller Light on Facebook um, and use the hashtag tap the future for, for our latest updates. We'll have, you know, updates. We'll have, um, you know, group chats and, and Twitter chats with some of our mobile judges um, to give some, you know, some business information leading up to as well. So definitely log on on mltapthefuture.com um, tomorrow, June 13th. You know, you know apply your business and, and try to get a piece of this $400,000. Uh, really, thank you, Steve, for coming on board, and I, I hope our, our our listeners have a uh, 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 have the gumption to go in there and try. I, I definitely appreciate you, Donald, for for having me and uh, Miller Light um, to talk about this great opportunity. You know that should help stimulate our economy. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that last part. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was saying uh, thank you for for having me um, and Miller Light to to speak today to talk about this great opportunity with uh, Tap the Future um, to help hopefully you know do a little stimulating in the economy and help our our entrepreneurs out there. You got it, and thank you for coming on board. No problem. Thank you. Our next guest is Victor Wang from T2 Venture Capital, who is the author of what I think is an an extremely enlightening book, The Rainforest Blueprint, How to Design Your Own Silicon Valley. Victor, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. I appreciate being here. Uh, Victor, I'm going to ask you a question. Did I pronounce your last name right? Uh, Yeah, Huang. Okay. All right. I want to make sure. With a name like Mazella, occasionally uh, I'm, uh, uh, a lot of people miss. miss. Uh, tell us, uh, so I don't like to do it. So, uh, Victor, you have an extremely interesting book. But before we go into it, and before we go into tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, so uh, I've got an – we've developed an interesting practice here. Uh, we are a we're, – we're in Silicon Valley. And we help build new startup companies, uh, which a lot of folks do in Silicon Valley. But we also do something that's kind of unusual, which is we help build ecosystems that grow startup companies. And so what that means is we help design communities 
that cause there to be innovation, that cause there to be creativity. So we work with institutions like the World Bank, with foreign governments, we work with corporations. And how do you unleash the innovative potential of uh, your community? Uh, but what about yourself? What's your background? Uh, sure. Our listeners, uh, are, our, our listeners are always interested in that. Sure. Well, my um, uh, I was born in the U.S. Uh, I was in, born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. My parents were originally from Taiwan, and uh, I lived. I, I'm actually, a, despite uh, my ethnicity, which is Chinese, uh, I was actually a creature of Middle America. I was uh, raised throughout the Midwest and Texas, and uh, I've always I always wondered as I was growing up. Uh, you know, why, what, what are the big questions? Why, why, why are some places wealthy? Why are other places poor? And why do some places thrive while other places fall behind? Uh, I ended up uh, asking this question. I went to college uh, at Harvard where I studied government uh, and some additional work in computer science. And then I uh, went to law school at the University of Chicago. Uh, and I always thought I'd go into uh, politics and government. And I I did a little bit of that work, uh, but I quickly soon left for the private sector. So I ended up practicing law for a few years, and I ran a nonprofit organization uh, in Los Angeles where we helped uh, transform this nonprofit into an organization that's been working, mentoring hundreds of startup companies uh, throughout the country. And then a few years ago, uh, we launched my current organization, which is called P2. And the whole goal of P2 is uh, is this this personal mission, which is this idea that innovators and creators and entrepreneurs deserve a level playing field. And how can we find ways to give them the tools they need to empower them? And uh, the, the work we've done is in terms of capital, in terms of supporting startup companies, has really tried to look at the whole system to say, uh, what can you do to, to, make, uh, to empower them so that an innovator, whether they're in Silicon Valley or Detroit or even sub-Saharan Africa, they've got the same chance to pursue their dream, uh, to build a company, to build a product, to, to transform the world if they want. And uh, and that, that really is what motivates me today. Well, before we go any further, what does T2 stand for? Uh, well, it started off, it sort of changed. And it, it started well, off as uh, technology transfer. So the idea that you could take technologies and level the playing field. So technology from, you know, anywhere have the same chance at coming to market as anywhere else. Okay. Uh, but uh, we've, we, it, we've sort of thought about it in many different iterations. So we, we started using technology plus trust, and yeah. uh, you could also call it trust 2.0. So it's, uh, it means a lot of things right now. Okay. Uh, now, Victor, tell us a little bit, uh, what are the main themes of your book? So the the premise of the book is that uh, we're trying to change the way people think about communities like Silicon Valley. So when most people think of Silicon Valley, they have a, a, an assumption that it's all about technology startups. But what we like to say is the technology startups are really the, they're just the outward manifestation of Silicon Valley. It's like the flowers in a field. When what really matters, if you're trying to create, if you're trying to look at what causes those flowers, it's the quality of the soil itself. And so what is the quality of the soil? And Ultimately, that soil is about culture and connectivity and how people relate to one another within, within large networks. And so if you look at Silicon Valley, if you really look at the quality of the soil in Silicon Valley as opposed to the flowers that everybody looks at, uh, you realize that there's a special culture, there's a special level of connectivity. And if you can take that recipe 
and and start trying to replicate it around the world, you can unlock so much economic value and so much business potential. Uh, and so it, this idea that Silicon Valley is just about technology or just about science or just about Stanford or even just about the venture capital is really not correct. It's really the underlying thing. And that underlying thing is is about how people behave and how they organize themselves. And how do you think they should behave or organize themselves? Well, uh, if you if you look at um, most communities or most businesses, we tend to think of business as this uh, the, you know the challenge of business is how well can you allocate your limited resources, or how efficiently can you run can you build a product? And if you look at if you contrast that with Silicon Valley, it's actually different. It's not uh, it's not strictly about how efficiently can you run an operation or how can you allocate resources. It's also about how do you bring together very diverse people who bring different a widely uh, a wide set of talents together and organize them into a company and organize them in ways where you get insights and ideas and you can unleash the, the openness that they, they have with one another. So this, there's an emphasis on diversity, on inclusion. There's an emphasis on openness and uh, willingness to hear new ideas. And there's a willingness to fail. There's a willingness to experiment. There's a willingness to dream. And there's also a willingness to trust, uh, where you're willing to give people the benefit of the doubt and a willingness to pay it forward back in the system. So if you benefit you pay it back to somebody else in another way. And if you think about what that means, if you take all these unwritten norms, these rules of the system, and you you think of what that has in effect, it means that the rules of behavior that people engage in with one another transform the entire system. That is, I, we like to say the macro changes the micro. Whereas people uh, are focused on the macro, how do you create places like Silicon Valley, the answer is, well, you look at the micro. You look at how people interact. You look at how they trust each other. You look at how they share with one another. And if you can do that, then you can take any, you can take any community, you can take any corporation, you can take any, um, take any network, and you can transform it. You can unleash uh, potential within such a group. But um, how, how do you try to infuse that into the organizations you work with? Well, there's a number of ways. So we have uh, developed a methodology for transforming communities. And we've developed a set of tools that allow communities to do it. And so some of it is contained in the book, The Rainforest Blueprint, and we have what we call the Rainforest Canvas. And a canvas is very simple. It's actually a map of the relevant pieces and connection points within a community. And you can fill it out. We actually put a, way, a version on our website that people can go and play with. What's your website? What's your website? website? Is, yeah, it's t2vc.com. So the letter T, the number two, VC is in venturecapital.com. And uh, you can play with the Rainforest Canvas. You can play with some of the other tools we have. Uh, we have a, a tool for how you plan for action. And then uh, we've got some other things in the book, like we talk about the social contracts of the network and how you might start to think about reconstructing social contracts. So we all live in different communities and tribes and networks. And within each network, we have a different set of we have a different contract with the community, right? If you're if you're with your you know if you're at a family reunion, you behave differently with those people than if you're at work, than if you're at the shopping mall. And these are all embedded uh, social contracts we have as we walk through our lives. And so what we're saying is, let's make these types of things explicit, and let's give people practical ways to try to reshape their culture, reshape their communities. 
Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, it seems that what you're talking about uh, is is an inclusion type of uh, environment. Um, and many small businesses are led by uh, individuals with very strong uh, dominant features. How do you get them to uh, let loose some of these these uh, uh, just to let loose and let this happen? That's very interesting. I think uh, if you if you look at the innovative leaders in places like Silicon Valley, let's say everyone looks like to talk about Steve Jobs, so you can use him as an example. And he's known for being a very strong, opinionated leader. But there's also a lot of stories about what he was like when he actually got into a design team. That they would they would lock the door in the in a design room and working on the next product, and everybody would roll up their sleeves and get involved in building and designing these products. And they said that Steve Jobs became one of the team. He was one of the gang. He he sort of loud, he he put away his his uh you know his executives had and he became just a product designer and an engineer and if you think about that model which is you you can be the person who's uh running the company from a managerial point of view but when it gets down to the level of creativity and innovation you have to be willing to get rid of your hierarchy you, you can't think in hierarchical terms about that you've got to unlock the potential of the people within your organization and you can wear both hats at the same time and that's I think where a lot of the talented executives in in the valley have have evolved towards, which is this idea that you have to lead, but at the same time you have to foster environments that cause people to be highly creative and innovative. I'm I'm across the country in uh, New Jersey right now, and uh, 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 I, I've been in many organizations where it's a very hierarchical and. Uh, Trying to get convince managers to share has been uh, one of the banes of my existence. Uh, do you think? Uh, um, but do you think uh, this new generation coming up uh, has differing views than uh, my generation? Uh, I'm old enough to collect social security. <laughs> I think. Uh... You know, I think the the new generation really views the world in terms of social networks and the web of relationships you can build. And uh, there's an assumption, which may not have been always true in prior generations, in the new generation, that uh, you create value through teams and groups, uh, not by individual will uh, or by the talents of any one person. And and so I think that that's an unusual, that's a new thing, and I think it's very powerful, and it's it very much tied into the value of what, uh, what makes Silicon Valley so successful. How did you? Why did you use the uh, the title the rainforest uh, in your title? Uh, what does that symbolize? The uh, it, well, when most people think of business, they they think about control and they think about process. And a good image people often use is that of the assembly line. So if you think of automobile manufacturing or you even think of electronics or even software, it's about a linear process of control, precision, precision, measurement. But when you think about innovation, it's actually the opposite. So whereas uh, manufacturing in traditional business is like a farm, like a plantation where you plant in very straight rows, innovative communities are like rainforests. 
because you're trying to foster serendipity. You're trying to foster accident. You're looking at the, the power of the and so, and so we call them rainforest because it's an analogy to say it's not a farm. In a rainforest, you want weed. Uh, on a farm, you kill the weed because you know the crop you want. But in a rainforest, you don't know the crop you're going to get. And so you foster the good weed. And you want the weeds to grow. That, that's, a, that's a fascinating analogy. Um, when you, uh, if you want to leave our audience with three, three thoughts uh, from your from your book, what would they be? Uh, that's a good question. There are well, there are three things I think that are endemic uh, in rainforests. One is serendipity. So the mixing, the ability to connect people together who are not are not the people you usually talk with. So openness and diversity and activity, they're all the same concept, which is this idea of mixing, the, the recombination of people. So that's, that's one thing. The second thing is trust. And this idea that people who trust each other lower the barriers between them to do stuff together. So I, there's an interesting contrast. I've noticed, you know, I've worked in both Silicon Valley as well as elsewhere. And when you when you do things even in the Midwest and you're in a startup company, what people ask for is they ask for a non-disclosure agreement. They'll say, uh, well, before we share what we're doing, will you sign this contract which promises not to share information and it seems reasonable enough, and it takes a few days to work your way through that type of contract. What you find in Silicon Valley is almost no one signs non-disclosure agreements. And you think, well, how could they do that? They're, they're, they're giving away private information. And the reason they do it is because there's an implicit understanding that if something comes out of it, people will share back, and they'll trust each other. There's, an, there's, there's the assumption of trust. And what, if you think about what that means for the whole system, it means that every relationship saves a few days of time. Every time you want to engage somebody, you cut out another contract. And so trust that has a powerful effect on the system because it reduces the cost of doing business. That's, that's the second thing. And the third thing is, is joy and happiness and finding something that really uh, drives your passion. And so, so much of Silicon Valley's success is, is from that. A lot of people look at Silicon Valley and they say, well, it's driven because people are trying to make a lot of money. And money is certainly there, and that motivates people in a great sense. But you, but you really cannot discount the power of the joy of creation. There's so many people involved in the Valley, folks like Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs, who never started out to make money. They actually just love creating things. They love creating something that's transformative, that's powerful. And, and they would never have done it if they were all they were trying to do was make money. Because if all you're trying to do is make money, then you just you, you replicate what these you replicate what's known. And so this idea that your passions actually matter for the success of your business is woven into the cultural fabric of Silicon Valley. So those, those are the three things I, I'd offer. Well, let me ask you a different question. You trained as a lawyer. Uh, how does that, has that helped or hindered you? in um, making this progression as you seem to have made? Uh, I guess it helps and hinders. Uh, I think uh, it hinders in some ways because lawyers, some lawyers are trained to assume that the rules are the way the rules are. And uh, your job is to interpret the existing set of rules. Uh, but I, I guess I'd uh, suggest that it also helps in other ways because 
this idea that sort of this notion of social contract, because um, the one thing lawyers know is that we have written laws and we have written rules, and these are the rules that our government create. But what's more powerful in our daily lives are the unwritten rules. Uh, the invisible uh, laws that govern our, our behavior from day to day, more than the government-based laws being imposed upon us. And these invisible rules, what lawyers call norms, uh, norms actually have, have greater economic effects on our lives. And so when you look at places like Silicon Valley, you look at these ecosystems, the norms are what drive them. No government official ever went to Silicon Valley and said, you guys shall not sign non-disclosure agreements because you're going to trust each other. In fact, laws allow you to sign non-disclosure agreements, but people don't do it. And it's because the norms, the way that people behave despite the written laws, are powerful. And so I think that, to me, that's been uh, an interesting insight that only, I think, lawyers will realize the power of the unwritten law is uh, very profound in shaping economic activity. Um, uh, that's really uh, <laughs> you, 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 you're so fascinating. I'm keeping you on on for a couple of more minutes, if that's all right okay. with you. Um, uh, uh, you. You were raised in Louis, in Louisiana. You went to Harvard. You're on, in Silicon Valley, and uh, I, I just find you fa- fascinating. Uh, can you give us the, the name of your book, where you can get it um, before you leave us? Absolutely. There's the Rainforest Blueprint, How to Design Your Own Silicon Valley. And the little tagline we use under it is, Unleash an Ecosystem of Innovation in Your Company, Organization, or Hometown. And uh, this book is available on Amazon, both in print and Kindle. And it will be available on some other, a bunch of other outlets as well. Uh, I would say the Kindle version, uh, we're, we're really pricing it because at a low price that we want people to read it. Uh, but the print version is gorgeous. It's, got, it's just beautifully laid out, and it's not that expensive either. So I recommend people who can afford the print version to get the print one because it's just pretty to look at. And the, the Blueprint book is actually derivative of the prior book, which came out last year. And the book last year is called The Rainforest, The Secrets to Building the Next Silicon Valley. And that's a, it's, it's more of a uh, a friend of mine called it the world's first textbook on building innovative ecosystems. Uh, it's really a thought book. Uh, it's got ideas. It really does a lot of analysis. Uh, the blueprint book is the it's kind of the fast version. You can read it fast, and you can start applying these practical tools right away. And thank you, Victor, for joining us today. I really no, thank appreciate you, it. I appreciate it. Okay. It's been a lot of fun. Our next guest is bringing us information on a subject every small business who operates an e-commerce site should know about, the sales tax danger zone. But first, a word from our sponsors. Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit costs. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2hsa.com. That's 2hsa.com. Any small business operating an e-commerce site should listen to Shane Radigan of Avalara 
as he brings us news about the sales tax danger zone. Thank you, Shane, for joining us today. Thank you, Donald. I appreciate the opportunity to get a chance to talk with you. Oh, well, uh, first, Shane, we always start and ask a little bit about yourself, how you came to be where you are now. <laughs> well, um, I'm, a, I'm an attorney, so I love to talk about myself and all sorts of things, Donald, so I'm glad to give you a little background. Um, I'm, I think what people politely call a late bloomer, I was involved with the motorcycle business from teenage years, really all through my 20s, ended up owning my own business and discovering that it really took all the fun out of motorcycling. <laughs> and um actually went back to school, uh, earned my degree in accounting, and um, uh, eventually went to law school. In fact, not eventually, right after the, I uh, earned my accounting degree, I went straight to law school. Um, earned my uh, law degree at Syracuse and uh, up in upstate New York, and um, immediately moved west. Uh, got a job with a great accounting firm in Salem, Oregon. They really taught me uh, to be an excellent accountant, and I did that for about 18 months while I earned my law license. Um, I decided to get a graduate degree in tax, and the University of Washington in Seattle is a great program. So after a few years in Salem, where I did eventually practice law, by the way, as an estate planner, um, I moved here to earn my LLM and took a job, which now is almost four years ago, Donald, with at the time a fairly small software company called Avalara. And uh, sure enough, I'm still here. I'm I'm what they call a subject matter expert. Um, I'm uh, hopefully some of the brains behind our uh, sales tax solutions solutions, uh, right? All right. That's how I find myself where I'm at. Okay, now tell us about the sales tax danger zone. Well, you know that that it sounds almost like a trademark term. But it's true. Uh, for small businesses, and particularly like you mentioned, Donald, and I'm glad that you brought the focus to the e-commerce realm because this is where I oftentimes uh, see small businesses uh, that are um, sometimes surprised at the potential risk that they may have for sales tax. So I, I break it down into three kind of big pieces, and these are all important moving parts to the sales tax compliance machine. But the first one is understanding where you, as a small business, are obligated to collect. And the term of art that we use in the field is nexus. This is where your business is required to collect. What locations and what states really is what we're talking about? Um, do you have the type of contacts that obligate you to collect on behalf of that state? So that analysis is a really important, like, first step. We know that for a business that has a brick-and-mortar location in a given state, uh, there's no real question about their obligation to collect in that state. But as you very rightly point out, in the new world, <laughs> brick-and-mortar means less and less. So the more uh, e-commerce and the more exposure the business is doing, meaning the broader their geographic reach of their sales and their customers, um, the more time they need, to, they should take at least, to uh, analyze those sales in those states and whether or not there's an obligation. You know, that, and then there's a second prong. And the, the first piece is that obligation to collect, but really the second piece is whether or not what a company sells is actually taxable. You know, 
the taxability of uh, items or services that a small business sells um, are that's the next crucial element. That's the next possible trap. Understanding how your products are defined, or services, I should say, are defined for sales tax purposes, or you know, with, from state to state or jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And then the third prong, Donald, is the the one I think most people think of intuitively when they think of sales tax, and that's what rate do I charge, <laughs> and to to what government or what uh, agency do I remit the money that I've I'm you know I'm I'm obligated to collect. So these these three elements all together are really the the pieces of uh, the the trap. These are the these are the elements that every small business, particularly one that has a shopping cart that has an e-commerce uh, profile, needs to consider when they're thinking about their sales tax compliance risk. Let me interrupt you here and see if I can make sure I understand what you said. Uh, basically, you say uh, you have to determine where you are located physically, uh, what jurisdiction uh, you're selling to, and, and what are the requirements uh, of that jurisdiction. Um, I, I just want to go back many years when I, I live in New Jersey, and w when you shipped an item from Macy's in New York to New Jersey, you didn't pay a tax until they put a reciprocal agreement in place. Um, but, but now it's much more complicated because you're selling to many jurisdictions, including municipal jurisdictions, which, which may have a tax on there. Have a, did I get it right? That's absolutely correct. You know that when you know the the time that you're referring to is a time when um, the you know businesses were beginning to explore the possibilities with efficient mail order, right? You know, um, you know, Donald. It's worth mentioning that. Nearly all these sales tax laws that we deal with today were written during another great time of economic upheaval in the U.S., the Great Depression. And that's when nearly all sales tax laws, nearly all the states, at least within a decade or so of the 30s, really began the sales tax movement. And we today are still dealing with these same rules. And I think that relates to what you're describing. It has become more complicated. And now, of course, the states are more and more reliant on sales tax revenues. So the boundaries and the locations and the places where you live, for example, in New Jersey, really matters your address as a customer of Macy's from New York as they're uh, mail ordering you or shipping you an item. Um, you're 100% correct. Well, I'll tell you an interesting thing. Uh, uh, Amazon is... Uh, uh, locating their um, uh, distribution center in New Jersey for the first time, which will make uh, every New Jersey resident who buys from Amazon um, required to pay our sales tax, where we didn't have to pay it before. And Absolutely. But now, uh, in, the, in, the, in the time we have remaining, <clears throat> how can a a small a business with an e-commerce site um, uh, make sure that they're, they're compliant. And also, the other question, making sure that, that a year from now someone doesn't come after them like this uh, Chicago and say, you owe, you owe us all this money. Well, um, 
it's probably funny on a few levels that you had mentioned Chicago. We all have an image of how things work over in Cook County, right? But, you know, on, and for another reason, it's interesting, too. I often mention that, you know, there's some little uh, addresses, excuse me, Donald, in, in Chicago that have six different sales tax elements, six different jurisdictions that apply to given addresses. So that I don't mean to get off track. It's a great comment. I know what you're asking me. But that's a great example of the complexity. So, you know, how does a business avoid it? Well, there's 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 three ways, I suppose, but there's there's four ways. The first one I'll always mention because it's true. You can ignore it. Um, that happens. People sometimes decide the risk isn't worth it. Um, um, invariably, this leads to big disaster should their business become successful enough to grab attention of a of an eager young auditor. But really, for all practical purposes, there's three kind of paths, right? A, a small business can um, keep it in-house. Um, almost all the current ERP, you know, um, business software has a uh, software component that will calculate tax. Typically, these things don't provide any real rules or any real rate or boundary information. The, the, the customer, the small business owner, needs to kind of input this information. And what that means is, of course, uh, they need to maintain this information, and that's as we discussed, you know, already, is can be extremely complicated. Um, the second way to do it is to uh, farm it out. Um, you know, find a state and local consultant that is, uh, you know, able to provide an economy of scale and able to maintain a sales tax compliance on a kind of an outpatient um, uh, like contract. The, like <laughs> Avalara. But the third one, no, the third one is is to get a hold of somebody like us. And I'm not a salesperson. You probably already can tell, Donald. But the third way is to get a hold of a provider like us that provides an automated solution. Um, we integrate and connect with over 200 different ERPs. But we're not just a line that says sales tax on an invoice. We provide the taxability content for many of our customers, and we absolutely provide all rate and boundary information for all transactions. We've got um, content that covers not just the U.S., but several other uh, North American countries, all the EU, and what we're able to do is automate the process, and we don't just calculate it. Uh, we also offer the return service and um, the treasury where we're able to remit the money to the proper jurisdiction. So that's number three, and that's the, I believe, uh, as time goes on, uh, that's the that's the way that a lot of businesses are going to appreciate. We're a SaaS-based um, solution, so it's a subscription thing based on number of transactions. It can, it's, you know, it's based on how big or small a business is, Donald. It's, I think it's the future. Well, uh, the reason I had asked to have you on the program is I believe so. I believe within uh, the next couple of years, uh, uh, there's going to be a kind of a backlash where people, uh, municipalities are going to uh, try to reach out and uh, take back some of this money uh, that that they think uh, unfairly did not uh, they were not paid for. And that's why uh, when something came across my desk with the sales tax, tax danger zone, I wanted you on the program. Again, uh, how can they reach you and how can they reach your uh, website? And we have about uh, 30 seconds left. 
Donald, I appreciate the chance to talk with you today. The name of our company is Avalara. It's our own made-up name, lots of A's in there, but it's spelled exactly how it sounds, avalara.com. And we also have a wonderful site, Donald, seriously, no sign-up needed, called www.salestaxchanges.com. And we provide all sorts of free resources for anybody that bothers to show up. We've got some white papers on there, webinars. And uh, we just, like people like myself, are encouraged by Avalara to spread the word about what sales tax compliance means, and you'll find a lot of good information on there. So thank you again for letting me have the time on the show today. Uh, thank you, Shane. I have one final thought for today, and, and it's a groundbreaking ruling just handed down by a federal judge. There was a time when intern was another name for free labor, but that may be passing. Federal Judge Hawley ruled this week in a case involving Fox Studios that interns who work for nothing need to be paid. What's more, he certified a class action suit against Fox, and legal experts say other actions will follow. In the Fox case, the two interns worked more than 40 hours without pay, and he ruled that they were entitled to full pay. If the ruling stands... Companies need to review their intern policies and may be subject to lawsuits from past interns. A word to the wise is sufficient. Remember, uh, this program, a word to the wise is sufficient, and you should remember that uh, uh, interns are, are great, but pay them. Remember this also, also, this program will be archived and available on www.blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or su suggest topics for future hours, email me at dmazella at its is-incorp.com. That's D-M-A-Z-Z-E-L-L-A at is-incorp.com. We also like to remind our listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Digest, Business Digest comes to you via the web at the number 2 sbdigestcom Our magazine, which you can download, which you can, uh, download from our website, smallbusinessdigestmag.com you can also subscribe to a print copy there as well until next time this is Don Mazzella and this is Small Business Radio good day Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.